him the, 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 the crew leader looked over and his buddy kept on throwing nails away, like half of them. And he looked at him and said, Joe, what are you doing? You're throwing like half the nails away. What's wrong? And he says, well, duh, the point is on the wrong side. And he looks at him, are you serious? Those nails are for the other side of the house. Yeah. But um boom. All right. Well, I have had a trade myself for, wow, since 91, 50, 25 years. And it start, it, it, I use this spray gun right here, and I paint bumpers. Can I tell you, though, when I first started out and I painted a bumper, can I tell you that I, I, I got kicked off the lot? It was absolutely humiliating. I wailed all the way home, complaining to God, God, you open this door so I can support my family. And I'd rather be preaching the word, but that door hasn't opened, and this is what you give me. And I got kicked off a lot using this thing. And I can remember when I would spray, because I had not been taught how to do it. I had read a manual, not Emmanuel, okay, totally different. I'd rather rely on Emmanuel than on the manual that I was given. But so I read this manual as far as how to do it. And so you have, you just cover your wound with the, and you kind of missed a little bit. And every time I would do that with a metallic, it would create what they call a shadow. When you look right at the paint that you had to spray for the wound, it looked great. But as it went out, it looked like this shadow. When you stood back, you could see someone sprayed this area. Yeah, that was me. And I didn't know how to use this gun. And there was a prophet uh, that God had used more extensively nationally than in the, the present time. And he was getting settled. He actually did paint work on car dealerships as I did, but on interior work. And he restored a lot of antique models of vehicles and such. That was his specialty. But he came up to me with this word and he said, Mike, get used to this job of painting cars because I see God is going to have you do this so that you can support your family and he is going to grow you to be a pastor but you need to learn how to do your job and do it well can I just tell you that was the last word that I wanted I wanted to hear a word like Mike next week God is going to be calling you to a church and you're going to be pastoring and blah 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 you fill in the gaps well I filled in the gaps I knew what I, I was what was beating in my heart not this but this and God was saying okay Mike it's both of them so over the years I took that man's word to heart not because I wanted to but because reality as the rubber hit the road that's just the way it panned out I was doing this and God had to teach me how to use this gun in a way so that eventually I'd be able to spray new car bumpers and people would love the work. I hired some guys. Donald has done work for me and Mike Jeffords and some others who aren't a part of this church now. But God had to teach me how to, the first time I held this gun and I sprayed a bumper, I got kicked off a lot. It was a new car and I'm still frustrated with the owner that he made me do it. But you know what? Some of you have gifts that God has given you and you're still needing to truly learn how to use it. You've got a gun in your... Well, 
you've got a gift in your hand, in your heart, and it needs to blossom. Someone needs to come alongside of you and train you how to do this. It took me a number of years how to perfect how to use this thing. Because I would be on the, the telephone with the paint supply company and with one of their technicians. Okay, what do I do now? What do I do now? How do I get rid of it? How do I take care of this problem? Over and over and over. And that's how I learned. I wish someone had come along my side and said, Mike, let me show you. But I was employed by somebody and he didn't have the, I didn't have the time and he didn't have the money to send me off to a, a school to learn. I learned on my own. So here's my question to you. The spiritual gift God has given you, are you just going to learn on your own? Are you going to be teachable? Are you going to allow others to speak in your life? Are you going to allow the spirit of God to teach you and groom you and mold you and shape you? I want to talk about that tonight. As you turn to Romans chapter 12, last week we saw how humility and spiritual gifts, the charismata, Spiritual gifts, or as we call them, more literally translated, the gracelets. Charis is grace. Charismata is gracelets or spiritual gifts. They are gifts that God gives you, and they are spirit-empowered. And that is going to be key for you to be able to grow. These are different than talents and abilities. I'm going to get to that a little bit more towards the end of the sermon. But we need to learn how to use these gifts and allow the Spirit of God to cultivate these gifts to maximum potential. That is in part how we, when we stand before God, will be judged. Not in a bad way, judged, but in a good way. And as you see Sam, and he applauds Sam, well done, Sam, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in this, and I'm going I'm to make you faithful over... You know, it, in, in Luke, it says 10 cities or five cities. Whatever that translates into heavenly terms, when we're in heaven, whatever that might look like, what we do here has eternal impact then. So I don't know about you, but I think most of you are on board with this. I, you, we, we want to grow in our spiritual gifts because we want God, the Spirit of God, to move, work through us to impact people. This is the purpose for spiritual gifts. So I'm going to read the passage again that I read last week. And we're going to dig into this. Last week it was on humility. And how that dovetails with spiritual gifts. Today I want to look at faith. Faith. Verse 3. Romans 12. For by the grace given me. Paul is saying to the Romans. I say to, to every one of you. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Church, can I just say you are not your own. You belong to the rest of us. I hope that doesn't sound offensive to you. In a marriage, that's the way it goes. And Paul is alluding that there is a similar relational connection in the body of Christ. You are not your own. You belong to the rest of the body. I want to just allow the Spirit of God to let that sink in a bit. I touched on that a little bit last week. Let me move on. 
We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. Church, say that with me. His faith. Thank you. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership or administration, as some say, let, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. I want to look at that phrase. There's actually a couple of phrases we're going to look at, but look at that phrase in verse 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. I want to ask you this question. Does it not seem reasonable that if your faith grows, that the spiritual gifting, the capacity of that gifting would grow also? In proportion to. The grace that God has given us, the faith that we exercise, we should look at that grace that he has given us in this form of a spiritual gift and our, it should match the level of our faith. If my faith level grows, I'm going to suggest to you the grace level grows as well. The two go hand in glove. And I, that's what I want us to see. But before we look at this even uh, too closely right yet, right yet, I want to ask a very simple question. What is faith? And I did a sermon series on faith, so you should all be raising your hand. I know what faith is. But faith, yes, it is the, the ability to believe God for big things. It is, first, it's man's response to God. Faith is what happens in here. Grace is what initiates from the throne of God and happens in here. Faith is now my response to that. Faith, is also, faith also says, I can't, but he can. Therefore, Philippians 3.18, Philippians 3 says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So it's not I can't, but it's I can't. I can't, but he can, therefore I will. So do you follow? That is faith. Faith, again, is fully relying on God. In my weakness, his strength is made perfect because his grace is sufficient. It is more than enough. But faith is relational. Your faith walk with Jesus, I want you to picture this, is a journey. It is something that grows, that he, he feeds. And I want to talk about that in just a moment, how he does this. But he invites us on this discovery of the, of the magnitude of who he is. And in particular, his grace. The series is on the outpouring of his grace, this docudrama of God's grace. That as we walk through life, God allows us to go through circumstances that make us step back and say, whoa, I can't. Can I just tell you, my wife and I over the past two months have regularly stepped back and said, God, I can't. We can't. 
but you can. We take a step back and say, I can't. We take a step forward and say, but you can. And that's what then promotes or prompts us to continue to take those steps forward. That is man's response of faith to God's outpouring of grace. By grace, through faith. Grace is what God does. Faith is what man does by grace through faith. Faith is relational. Jesus doesn't just say, believe me. He says, believe in me. That's relational. Jesus invites us in this journey of this Christian walk of discipleship with him so that as we fully rely on him, we get to see God do the impossible in our lives. That is his grace, but we must respond in faith. It is the same way in the spiritual gifts then. If God is eager to pour out his grace in these gifts, because these gifts are not just, they're not natural abilities. We need to get this in our mind. Spiritual gifts are not natural abilities. They're spirit-empowered abilities. Therefore, they are controlled by the spirit, dispensed by the spirit, empowered by the spirit, and grow by the spirit. But it is by grace, what again, church? Through faith. Faith is the exercise, then, of man's will. Faith is what I do. The second thing, though, the first thing was what is faith. The second is, if we grow in faith, then we will grow in gifting. But how? If faith is what we do, my question then would be in verse 3, it says that we are to assess ourselves or think of ourselves with sober judgment. What does it say? In accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Does, Does that seem contradictory? God gives me this faith and and I... It's my responsibility to exercise faith. Now, I would venture to say that there are some who would believe that faith is a thing. It's an entity, like a gift that God gives us, and we get to open it and use it, and it is a God thing. My my hesitancy in accepting that and, and, and saying that that is what this verse is saying is that faith is clearly throughout scripture something that we do. It is an exercise of our will to God's grace. God doesn't plant faith in me, and therefore I respond to faith, in faith, to his grace. Turn with me to Philippians 1.29 and let's look at this. This would be a a, a good example, because my... my, my concern is if we simply view faith as something that God gives and then I exercise it, we will then wait for God to give me more faith. So why aren't you growing in your, your giftings? Well, God just hasn't given me the faith. Now, I would venture to say that there aren't too many people who would even believe that. But that would be the leaning if we're not careful. Here's, here's my challenge. Faith is something that God imparts through secondary causes. What does it mean when when 
Isaiah says that God is the one who brings calamity. Whoa, God brings calamity? God does this? You can ask any Calvinist who you might think would be a little extreme in this. Personally, in this area, I don't think so, not usually. It is, and they would say it is through secondary causes. Nebuchadnezzar came and judged Israel. Did God manipulate Nebuchadnezzar and do bad things to Israel? No, God in his mercy, because he was bringing Israel to repentance, through circum secondary causes, circumstances, stirred up the evil heart of Nebuchadnezzar through these circumstances, and Nebuchadnezzar, filled with pride, filled with a heart that is sinful, the heart is deceptive, beyond cure, who can understand it? And God used him in that way through secondary causes. God allows circumstances to bear on our life and in that way imparts faith. Are you there in, in Philippians 1.29? Good. Because I'm not, but I am going to be there in two seconds. It says this, for it has been granted to you. That word granted is charizomai. You're familiar with charis. It's based on that word, grace. Charizomai, which means to give out of grace. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. Out of God's grace, he has granted you to believe on him. But also to suffer for him. Here's my question. If God takes this thing called faith and plants it in your heart, if that's how we are to understand Romans 12, 3, then he also does that with suffering. God takes this thing called suffering and he imparts it on you. I don't know of anyone who would agree with that. God is not the initial cause of that. He uses secondary causes. Now, what I am getting at is this. When we look at Romans 12, 3, in accordance with the measure of faith that God gives to you, I want you to view it this way. God gives you the measure and our response to that expanding this building of capacity through circumstances, we respond in faith. Okay? It's like, let me use an illustration, a shark tank. If a, shark tank, if a tank for a shark is small, the shark, the shark stays small. If the tank is enlarged, the shark grows. The shark's size is in accordance with the size of its tank. Out then in the free world, in, in the, the, the wild, he can, he can grow to his largest capacity. God expands that measure. God gives us the measure, the metron in the Greek. He gives us this measure and it is immediately filled with faith. That is our response to God. I just want to be careful here that we don't make the mistake of just saying, well, then God's going to do this. God's going to give me this faith and he just hasn't yet. And so, well, no, 
Faith is what I do. God will do this, though, I will assure you. He will bring circumstances into your life, and by, by doing so, he will expand this capacity for your faith to grow, and he will stretch you to the point where you are truly in agony. He will use these secondary causes to bear on your life because he's wanting to stretch your ability to believe. How many of you have ever been through a circumstance and it really tested your faith? We use the word test. Tonight, I want to just change that. God is stretching your capacity now to believe. He is, he is stretching the measure of faith. He is, as the shark owner, building a bigger shark tank for the shark to grow bigger. And so God does this in your life. So how are you going to grow in faith? How is God going to impart this faith to you? He, he does it by expanding the capacity that we then respond in faith. And our faith grows. Let me use this illustration. It is, now every illustration has its weaknesses. You're familiar with matching funds. God gives his grace. We respond in faith. When we respond in greater faith, God responds in greater grace. When you are willing to step out in faith, let me use a, a metaphor, stepping out of your boat, as Peter did. And Peter did... What honestly, I, I mean, when I first read that as a kid, I thought, oh my goodness, what is Peter doing? He's just so stupid. What? He's stepping out onto the water? And yet he was able to walk. And I remember when the Sunday school teacher was reading this passage and I thought, whoa, that is so cool. He's walking on the water. And that lasted for about eh, one verse. And then he started sinking. Why? Because fear started filling that capacity instead of faith. And fear and faith cannot coexist. If fear begins to control you, it squeezes out faith. For faith to grow, it must attack and overcome and dispense with the fear. It's stepping out of the boat. It's stepping out of our comfort zone. It's doing what we are really uncomfortable doing, really feeling maybe insecure, fears, and stepping in. And I've heard it, you've heard me say it this way. Um, courage, which is very similar, though not the same, similar to faith, courage is fear that has said its prayers. Every man that's going on to the battle, there's fear, but he does not let that fear control him even a little. That is the man of courage. The man of faith, there's, there, as he steps out of the boat, there's going to be some, some fear there, some caution. Not all fear, can I say this, church? not all fear is of the devil. Maybe that catches some of you by surprise, that somehow all fear is of the devil. Can, can I ask you this? Should you, as a child, fear a hot stove? Now, some of you would say, well, not fear, but caution. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Is there a difference here? 
maybe the degree of caution, maybe if you're really cautious, that's fear. I, I don't know, like a lot of frustration we'll call anger. All right. But, so God created Adam with a fight or flight mechanism. He created him with this element to fear. It needs to be channeled and controlled in a godly fashion. When it's out of control, that is fear, that is, and it begins to push out faith. So he stepped out, Peter steps out of the boat. Unfortunately, as God was expanding his capacity to believe, fear began to rush in and sink his boat, literally. Uh, um, symbolically, that's the word I'm looking for. God wants to grow our faith. He will do it through circumstances. If we refuse to respond in faith, the measure does not grow. He gives you the opportunity. Are you willing to take the risk, step out in faith? Because if you do, as he's stretching you out, you fill it with faith, you grow in faith. As you grow in faith, God dispenses his grace all the more. By grace, through faith. <clears throat> the problem is that in order for God to stretch us here, he will almost always use very hard circumstances. Welcome to the real world. Welcome to this relationship with God in which he delights in allowing us to take that step back so that we now have the opportunity to respond with that step forward and another step forward to respond in faith and pursue God no matter how hard life gets. No matter when, I can't tell you how many times, truly, I wanted to just throw the towel in. Just saying, God, I, I'm just so weary with this. Where are you? I felt like David in so many of the Psalms. You know, really, when you're going through a hard time, those Psalms just come alive to you. Just say, amen. That's exactly how I feel. God, where are you? I am like shark bait right now. And do you not care? And God is saying, I'm just expanding the tank. No! Wrong metaphor, God. But God will expand. How about finances? Does God stretch you in your finances to the point where you're saying, God, I'm just getting so weary of praying for, for the finances to come through? But in that weariness, is that causing you to take a step back? stay there and so as God is stretching the measure to be filled with faith that you are in response allowing worry and fear to fill or are you responding in obedience use these gifts in proportion to your faith let God stretch your faith. How about doing the right thing, even when it costs you, like loving your enemies? Ouch. 
That's hard. Forgiving. That's hard. Sacrificing the desire to be right to secure a relationship. Husbands and wives, we need to work on that one, don't we? Sometimes we just fight so much because we want this, our spouse to know, I am right. Well, okay, let's see. Die to self. Take up your cross. Follow me. Serving according to a person's needs and not my desires and my personal conveniences. Okay, God's going to stretch you there. Many of us, we want to serve. Yeah, oh, I'll serve. I'll serve. Sure. I'll, I'll serve at your prayer time. When do you guys pray? Uh, seven in the morning. What? People are up that early? <laughs> yeah, we're going evangelizing. Right. Cool. I, yeah. Where are you guys going? We're, we're knocking on people's doors. Oh, like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. Yeah. Let God stretch you. We, we, we many times we want to serve, but okay, God, but here are my requests. And we utter like 10 to 12 requests. Okay? I'm willing to serve under these conditions. Like we're drawing up some contract with the Almighty. Not. But we, or we want to serve when it's really convenient for me. Okay? You know, I'm sorry, but 7 o'clock prayer, that's just not convenient. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you, come to prayer this morning. That's where I'm going with this. This, this Tuesday morning at 7 in the morning, okay? You don't have to knock on the door of my house unless I accidentally slept in and the door's locked. <laughs> I promise I won't do that. But I'm going to encourage you. Let God stretch you. Evangelism when you're really tired or when it's really hard. Giving. When we have so little to give, God will stretch us. Let faith grow and the gift will expand by grace through faith. The greater the faith, the greater the grace. May I also say the greater the grace, the greater the faith. You see, number one, because God simply honors Faith. This is still point number two, I believe. God honors faith and works through faith. He is looking for faithful people through whom he can pour his spirit, through whom he can pour spiritual gifts, through whom he can pour his grace to be able to reach a dying world, to be able to minister to brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to raise up godly children. You know, there's little ones who wander around our house that we can sometimes be so busy with life that, oh, yes, you need to be fed? What? It's only noon. You know, and, and we, can, we can become so busy with stuff, but God is challenging us, church, by grace through faith. Let, let God expand your faith. The greater, by grace through faith. I want you to just see this awesome, amazing grace God is pouring into your life, through your life, to a dying world, to a church that needs reviving, and God wants to use you. It's like the larger the conduit through which the water flows, the more the water can flow. Do you get that? Let him stretch the conduit. Maybe you're a little two-inch conduit and he wants to eventually stretch you to a 10-inch 
conduit through which he pours out his grace. Now, I, I don't know the math on this, but how much water can flow through two inches versus uh, two inches versus ten inches, it's amazing how much more. Are you willing to let God do that in you, through you? Number three. <clears throat> so how does faith impact gifting? How does it do that? Number one, God works through faith. But number two, <clears throat> excuse me, God causes us to step out of the boat. He, causes, he wants us to fully rely on him. And as we do that, we, we purposefully place ourselves in a position of weakness that not too many of us really, really enjoy. But in that moment of weakness, that is when we see just how sufficient God's grace is. I, I just heard this. It just came to my mind as a reminder. But apparently Tim Tebow had an opportunity to lead an airplane in prayer this past week, I guess it was. Someone had a heart attack. <clears throat> and I can only imagine that his prayer went something like this. Father, in Jesus' name, you're the only healer. Would you please heal this man and spare his life? I'm sure it was something along these lines. But God in his sovereign providence that we don't always understand... This man lost his life on the airplane. Does that mean T Tim Tebow was just not a man of faith? Was just not righteous enough for God to answer his prayer? None of the above. But I tell you what, for Tim Tebow to lead an entire airplane in prayer, that took faith. I can tell you what, the woman, I don't even know if the man was married who had the heart attack. She was probably very grateful. Thank you for praying. I wonder how many people focused on the prayer and how many people, well, God guess didn't show up and heal him. That was a step of faith. And sometimes it's so easy for, God, my reputation is on the line with this. I can't step out in faith. Peter stepping out of the boat, but Jesus, these guys look up to me and, and I'm, you're inviting me to step out in the boat, but what if, what if? And he looks around at the wind and the waves and fear comes in, takes the place of faith. This is the decision that we need to make. If we're going to step out of our comfort zone and place ourselves in that position of weakness, are we going to allow fear or are we going to allow faith? to fill that measure that God is wanting to expand and give you. I did want to touch on this. How does spiritual gifting differ from natural talents and abilities? I truly, when we understand that faith and spiritual gifting go hand in glove, we're going to need to answer this question. Because many people have a talent of teaching, but they do not have the spiritual gift of teaching. And we might step back and say, but what? Does the world not have many teachers and many of whom do not even know God? Do they have the spiritual gift of teaching? Well, I would venture to say no, 
and I hope you're in agreement with me on this, because spiritual gifting is an empowerment, a pouring out of God's grace, a grace let that he imparts to his people. So if, if they're different, then what is spiritual gifting? Spiritual gifting, we need to see, is highlighted in two, two aspects, two areas here. It is number one in the impartation of that gifting and especially seen to someone who did not have that natural talent or ability at all. Now, that can be seen in teaching, but it is especially highlighted in, in gifts like healing and prophecy. You try conjuring those up on your own. You know, many times we do mistake human wisdom for prophecy. Right? But here, so I, I don't want to just gloss over this when obviously spiritual gifting is an impartation of the spirit that is truly beyond me. I think most people get that. But spiritual gifting is seen on the other end. The spirit of God by grace through faith as we minister, and I'm just going to use the, term, the, the idea of teaching. When the spirit of God imparts this teaching and there is sufficient in accordance with faith there's sufficient faith what we then see is that teaching impacts people that impact is what many call the anointing now if we could just momentarily scrap much of the teaching in the world in, in the church today on anointing because many people mistake anointing with a preacher who's like this and and Leading the charge and rah, 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 God. And, and I'm all for rah, 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 God. You're awesome, but that's not the anointing. You can be as, as excited as you can be, but that is emotion and, and that can be spirit energized, but the, that is not the anointing. The anointing is found after the teaching that a heart is broken. Proverbs says a gentle word breaks a bone. Think about that. A gentle word breaks a bone. A gentle word, a word spoken in due season can cut right to the heart. And it's like, wow, that is exactly what I needed. The anointing on someone with the spiritual gift of teaching as opposed to the natural ability of teaching is not found so much in how well they teach, though it can be, it is most significantly discovered in the impact of their teaching. And I have to step back and say, God, if you're going to anoint me to teach or preach, then me, I need to get out of the way. Now, that doesn't mean I, I, I shouldn't study hard and, and do what I can but I need to cry out to God because only he can anoint and only he can change that heart. Only he can do that end of the preaching. I can speak, but I tell you what, you know, people can speak and preach and nothing happens. D.L. Moody said this when he was filled with the spirit and he sensed that there was such a, a change in his life. He, he didn't necessarily, excuse me, he didn't necessarily feel it. He, he saw it. It was evidenced. He said, if after that moment, you know, when God had anointed me in this way, in what he termed the baptism in the Holy Spirit, that was his term, by the way, 
he said this, hundreds and thousands started coming to Christ. I was preaching the same sermons, his part. But now hundreds, not tens, hundreds and thousands were, be, were being saved. That's God's part. There are teachers in the body of Christ. And they lack faith. They lack humility. Next, not next week, but the week after, love. They lack love. And because of these things, maybe a combination of all three, maybe just one of them, there is little anointing on their lives. If you want to grow in this anointing and with every spiritual gift, now that's, that's the term that I'm using here, anointing, but that is what the Holy Spirit does. You can see it in Old Testament and New Testament. When kings were anointed, it wasn't just some ritual. It was a symbol of the Spirit of God coming upon them. Why? To be able to rule well. Well, how do you know a king has ruled well? Because the subjects follow him and therefore the kingdom prospers. That is the anointing. David was anointed as a leader. I would venture to say he led well, but the results is what the Spirit of God did in the people's hearts that he was leading. That was evidence that he was truly anointed as a king. The Spirit of God had come upon him. Let the Spirit of God come upon you. Let his grace flow through you. Let him use you. Let him expand your capacity, that measure, that metron of faith. Are you going to let fear fill it? Are you going to let faith fill it? As you do this, there's just a, a very interesting passage in 1 Samuel chapter 9. In which Samuel is prophesying over Saul. And this will be my point number five that I'm going to be very brief and just let, I want it to just sink in for you. And as Samuel, Saul, excuse me, was prophesying over Samuel, he says, and when the spirit of God comes upon you, you will be turned into a different man. And here is my charge to you. Do whatever you find your hand to do. Hmm. Do whatever my hand finds to do. You know what? Sometimes I think we get so caught up in this concept of calling. And I am all for calling. God has prepared works in advance for us to do. He has pre-prepared works for us to walk in. Good works, good things. Spirit-inspired gifts to be able to impact people's lives. Those types of good works. But sometimes we can step back and we can start daydreaming as far as, oh, this phenomenal call of God on my life, and it brings me to tears. And I just think about this, and we daydream about one day. One day. And we lose sight of today. Samuel told Saul, when the Spirit of God comes in, don't just wait. 
Do whatever you find your hands to do. Now, I would venture to say this, that the Spirit of God immediately led him. When the Spirit of God anointed him, the Spirit of God led him. But he, he didn't wait for some prophetic word. He did it. The Spirit of God was stirring in his heart, and the Spirit of God's thoughts became his thoughts, and he did whatever he found his hands to do, and that was what God wanted him to do. Here's my point. We can sometimes get so caught up in the sense of a personal calling that we miss what God has set before us today. What's your calling, Mike? It's whatever God has called me to today. I, I would prefer to see it that way with my spiritual giftings, my temperament, personality, and talents and abilities and intellectual capacities or limitations, whatever, however you choose to see that. Uh, spiritual giftings. Spirit of God, I just want you to use me and anoint what I do because I want there to be fruit I want you to be the one ministering through and impacting people. Rather than get caught up, getting caught up in this calling and yeah, you know, yeah, I feel called to be an apostle. Well, which by the way, I don't, but what about being a Sunday school teacher or a children's ministry teacher to six and seven and eight-year-olds? Oh, but Apostles don't do that, man. I feel called to something great. Well, good luck on that. Because until you learn to do this, I don't think God will ever bring you there. You feel called to be an apostle? And people are, by the way. They're given until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There are apostles in this day. Not like the 12, but there are apostles in this day. My point is, are, are we so looking and analyzing this calling on our life that we miss what God has called us to right now? Do whatever you find your hand to do. That's my charge to you. As you leave this place, do whatever you find your hand to do. Look at the present. Look at the opportunities. Now, don't say, well, I'm just not gifted, so I'm not going to help out of the church. Guess what? I would say that my spiritual gifting is not serving either. But God has called me as a leader to have a foundation of serving. So hello, Mike. Welcome to humility and placing other people's needs above your own. That is the essence of leadership. Oh, by the way, do you want to be an apostle? Learn to serve. Clean toilets. Build stages and sound booths. Paint walls. <laughs> Clean. Sunday, Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, and Friday night. I'm do whatever you find your hands to do and we stop we just get rid of the excuses because as we empty ourselves and God stretches the capacity for faith you will grow in the anointing of the spiritual gifts that he has imparted to you and you will one day stand before him and he will just like jump out of his throne okay maybe not but he will want to jump out of his throne and he will say welcome into my kingdom you who have been so faithful Welcome into my, I have prepared a place for you. Enter my happiness, my joy.